Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this second opportunity, Lord, to um, expound more on your word as we seek to find uh, a way to a happier marriage, a marriage, Lord, that, you're, that you sanction and use us, Lord, as we impart the things that you've taught us to, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. You know, it was May 25th, 1997, that this wonderful event took place. And in many respects, my bride, Alexandra, and I, we definitely loved each other. That, that, there wasn't a question about that, but it was very much an imperfect love. We were not necessarily uh, counseled in, in the instruction of the teachings from Adventist home, child guidance, you know, these type of books. And, and it would have been helpful. And I don't, you know, I don't fault even our counselor for that. You know, it's, it's, sometimes you just counsel what you know and what you believe in. And, and, but those books were not highlighted. It was after our marriage. And you have to understand that for Alexandra and I, I was working at a place called Young Adults Institute. I was making $17,500 a year. <laughs> and uh, I knew that that was next to nothing. But you know, we were like, all right, no problem. We got married. I did not even have a degree of any kind. You know, I didn't have a degree. I was a high school dropout because when I was in high school in the world, I got in uh, trouble and, you know, there were gangs threatening my life and all of that. My mother took care of me, and my mother was like, look, I don't want my son to get hurt. So she stopped me from going to school. So I just started going into the entertainment industry, became a dancer in hip-hop and R&B culture. And, you know, that was kind of like my life. So when we get married, I told my wife, I said, honey, how long did we agree we were going to wait before we had a child? I think two years. Two years. My wife did not listen to me. And instead of two years, how long was it before you dropped that incredible news on me that you were pregnant? How long was it? Two months. Two months. <laughs> so somehow months and years got confused in our conversation. And two months after we were married, she already said, I'm pregnant. And I was just like, oh, wow. So after... We had our first son, our oldest son, Jared, the pianist who you met. Then how long did it take before you disobeyed and had another child? I think it was five months. Five, no, six months. Okay. It was six months. And six <laughs> months later, she said, I'm pregnant again. And then that's when we had Kayla. And then how many months after Kayla was born? I'm going to say five months. It was six months. I believe it was six months. But <laughs> nevertheless, six months later, or five, I'll tell you why I say six and what, but six months later, my bride was pregnant again. And that's how we had the guitar guy, Kayla. <laughs> and then how many months then? Six months. Okay, so you reversed it. Because I say five months it after. It was five, five. Well, she did go through it. I mean, so, okay, I will agree with you. Mm -hmm. So five, five, and then six months later, we have our daughter, Jada. So mm -hmm. I am launched 
very quickly into parenthood. One of the first lessons we learned is that sometimes the plans don't always work out the way you plan it. No one near it. Mm -hmm. And that's why, again, when you go back to the Eden model, before Adam had a wife, he had a job. Is that right? Adam had an occupation. And that occupation was working that soil. Okay? That was a principle in the Eden model. Before a man gets married, he should be in a position to have what is needed to take care of that young lady once he brings her into holy matrimony. Mm. I was so not following that blueprint. How much was I making a year? $17,500 a year. Now, family, trying to have a family live off of that was thoroughly impractical. So what did I do? I started getting involved in network marketing. Well, we moved into my mother's house first. Yeah, so they, I mean, violation again, you know? <laughs> you it's like, that point you know, the whole leaving father and mother and mansion I cleave, et cetera. So we're living with mom, and we're living in her basement apartment in Queens, New York. And here it is that we're going through these motions, and, and you know, we got to a place where, you know, I had to figure out something because I, I knew there's no way at this job am I going to be able to help take care of my family. And one thing I did learn from my dad that was very well instilled is you take care of your family. So now I'm getting involved in network marketing and I'm driving out at night. So I told my wife, girl, I got to build the dream. And I was like, I got to go. And so can you imagine my wife is, you know, trying to manage all these babies. <laughs> And here I am telling her, honey, I got to get us financially secure, so I got to go. So I'm already working a job in the day, but then network marketing is the kind of business that you build at night. So now I'm doing this thing where I'm trying real hard to make money and do all these things to take care of our home. But it had an impact because I wasn't there. I was not present for those crucial moments that a wife needs her husband to help bring up her children, you know? So it paved the way for certain things to happen. Were you gonna say something? Well, you know, sometimes in addition to that on Sabbath, uh, he was so busy as, you know, you see this young man so talented and everybody wanted to use him for different things. So not only during the week, but on Sabbath, I did, it was just non, it wasn't existent. And I think, you know, I have my friend here, when she was young, a lot of the girls her age took my children. When I walked into the church, they would just grab each one. And, you know, it was so sweet then, you know, that was my only time I had a reprieve. But when you think about how the children should sit with the parents on Sabbath, or when you think about, you know, the lessons of reverence in the church, these things weren't taught, you know? as it should be by the mother. So it just opened the doors to a lot of issues. It did, mm -hmm. it really did. And so we're trying to manage this thing. I, I, I was not taught how to be a husband. So that means that I gotta go by what I was seeing in church and whatever I learned from home. Now from home, we were straight up worldly. So I knew like, okay, there's a lot of stuff I'm sure I can't bring from my <laughs> home into our new home. but. When I watched the people in the church, there was one thing I remember seeing very clearly in the church. The <laughs> elders were often very busy mm -hmm. preaching and teaching and doing revelation seminars and all these things. 
And there were times I used to drive by my church as late as 10 o'clock at night after finishing a meeting in somebody's house to try to get them to buy some soap and dishwashing liquid, you know, my network marketing business. When I'm leaving those houses at 10, 11 o'clock at night, I would see the elders still at the church. And sometimes I'd drive into church and say, hey, what are you guys doing? They're like, oh, yeah, we're studying, we're doing these things. And so I'm watching this like, okay, you got your children, you are, are, you're married, and, and I guess this is normal. Yeah, we thought, we didn't even, even with all that going on, I just thought this is, this is okay, this is normal. Right. We never even thought we, this was a problem. Yeah, we, I mean, we honestly thought that this was normal. Mm-hmm. And so what happens? My wife just, she hit the nail on the head, and that was a really good point, mm-hmm. is, you know, I'm busy, you know, trying to make enough money so I can sustain my home, but then on top of that, those few moments that I do have when I go to church, I'm teaching because they put me up front very quickly. They, they liked the energy that I had. And, and you know, I, I had a lot of energy. I was really believing this message. And it was like super exciting to me. I mean, really, well, I was in the world. So I'm loving this message. So I'm going in and I'm, I'm presenting the word of God. So it was kind of, in all honesty, it was my self-glorification moment. I'm a high school dropout. I, according to the world's standard, am a very ignorant person. Seventh-day Adventism got me interested in reading books again. And so I'm going through the books like lightning fast, and my brain, it was like a button was pressed or something. All of a sudden, my mind was able to, to memorize things and understand things very quickly. So when the elders and everybody saw that in a young man in the church, they said, we are going to capitalize on this brother. So anything they could get me to do, I was doing it, and I did it gladly because I was like, wow, people are giving me attention? Um, They actually want to hear me speak something intelligent? But all that time that almost every Sabbath, I'm there teaching the Word of God or sharing with others, or Wednesday night prayer meeting, giving testimonies, or going out and doing Bible studies, and building our network marketing business, and working the job during the day. This precious woman was very lonely. Well, I absorbed myself in the children. Yeah. I absorbed, like, they became my life. And that's all I knew. To the point that when people tried to watch my children, like, oh, let me take the children, because I have four little ones. Let me take the children and give you a break. I, I became sad when they weren't around. I felt down because I'm like, if you take them, I have nothing to live for. That's where my head was at at the time. Mm-hmm. And yet we're, we're in the church. Mm-hmm. They are quick, fast, making me AY leader. And then, you know, because I started, you know, they started to eventually teach me about health. And then they, they made me a health and temperance leader. And then they made me a personal ministries leader. And they're making me all these leaders. And of course, I don't know love's significance and security, so I began to find my significance in my preaching and teaching. Because when I would go home, if my wife and I would talk, you know, it's like either she falls asleep on me or I was falling asleep on her because she was exhausted and I was exhausted. And so when we're trying to vibe with each other, we could barely even really vibe with each other. And so sometimes my, those moments would come where you felt like your greatest validation was when somebody was telling you how great you were, a preacher or a teacher. 
And so this is that kind of stuff. This is how we started in our marriage. And it had a very negative impact. Were you going to say something else on that? No, I was, I was going to say I found my value, my significance, my love in the children. Yeah. So there was no devotion for me, just sporadic. So the children became, you know, everything. So when I was tired, I, I wouldn't even, it, it's just they were just constantly around me, constantly up. And so, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we definitely did not start right. Mm-hmm. There was a lot that we did not get right. One of the reasons we're even doing our renewal in, in just about a month, mm-hmm. you know, in a month with my wife and I up in Massachusetts, we're going to go ahead and do a renewal uh, of our wedding vows with each other. Uh, again, it's been 21 years. And so we've learned a lot, we've grown a lot, we've matured a lot, and we're loving each other a whole lot more the way God intended. And man, I'm telling you, that thing is sweet. And so what, what we realize is we, we started so wrong that my wife proposed to me. I don't know how many, how many of you saw that YouTube video where I proposed to my wife all over again uh, last year? Okay, just a few of you. Y'all, y'all got to go look at that. Um, you know, because I wanted to make it up because my wife is funny. She would, she would, you know, I've learned, you know, you learn how to communicate with your spouse. So I learned that my wife is a massive gardener. You know, she gently drops seeds. <laughs> and so my wife and I will just be talking sometimes, and she'll just be like, yeah, you know. She says, I sure do wish that you would have proposed to me. And I'll just be like, okay, I got that. Cha-ching. You know, I, I, I make a little mental note. And I've been looking for the opportunity. I'm like, man, when can I, like, do this proposal thing? So I, I finally, last year, planned this whole re-proposal thing. And I had a whole plan set up, but then something disrupted it, which was open heart surgery. You know, didn't <laughs> expect that. So nevertheless, that whole thing happens. If you don't know about the whole heart surgery thing, you know, I think we have a testimony about that on uh, Audioverse or, or YouTube. And when that whole thing passed, we found ourselves over at Meet Ministry because after going through all this, you know, heavy, you know, general anesthesia and all that stuff, I wanted to do a nice general cleanse all over my body just to do a little detox, things of that nature. And, you know, while we were there, I said, you know what? I said, we might as well do it while we're here. So I planned it with the children. And if you go to YouTube, and I think if you type in, like, Dwayne Lemon proposes to his wife, something like that, you'll see it come up. And she was totally clueless. Mm -hmm. And, man, that thing was fun. I mean, you know, we we just was able to, I got on my knees, and and I proposed to my wife, and I asked her to remarry me. And so uh, this May 27th, we're going to go ahead and do that again. And for us, it's really special because we are so not at the same place that we were when we first jumped this off, when we first got started. Just listening to the few minutes of what we talked about, you're talking about a couple who had a low income. We never even had a discussion on finances when we got married. It was not even a point of discussion. And we have four children didn't know anything about Adventist home. It was given when my firstborn was, uh, was uh, uh, dedicated? dedicated, sorry. Yeah. And that was the first time, no, they gave me child guidance. Mm-hmm. So I don't even think we had Adventist home when we got married. Adventist home came years later. And we were in an Adventist church. And n- low income, busy, 
I mean, you're talking about a really bad start. And even people today who they probably plan much better than we did, and they still have problems. So you can imagine mm -hmm. the drama we had to go through. And yet, even starting this way, we still thought it was normal. To me, I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you all, but I'm just like, wow, that's just absolutely mind-boggling to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. So. And you know, and the Lord just was gracious to us. I mean, we still had happy moments. We had joyful moments. I mean, I could still mm -hmm. see the picture of Jared at the Bronx Zoo when we pushed him on the swing and he just had that little toot-toot smile. And <laughs> you know, it's just like, we, we had many moments where there was some smiles and there was some joys, but we also can remember where there was some serious struggles mm -hmm. and there was some serious challenges. And we look back like, man, if we were taught, like the things that we share with people right now, I mean, we try our best to make it a very well-rounded counsel because we really believe that God can give us a little heaven on earth. And I know that when you get beat up enough in this world, you start to settle down and you start to compromise. But God does not want us to settle down. He does not want us to compromise. He wants us to keep the standard high and trust in his grace and power to lift us up to that standard. And I believe that whatever God promised, and I remember saying this a few years ago to my bride, I said, honey, whatever God promised, I want it. I said, if we're going to go and tell everybody that we are the modern day Israel of God, if we're going to tell people that, well, you know what? All those promises God gave to Israel belongs to his Israel today. So if God promised financial blessings, I want it. If God prom promised health, I want it. If God promised happiness, I want it. And every promise of God is based on conditions. And therefore, we had to start really looking at that. So when we looked at our lives, we realized, you know what? We messed up. We did not start this right. There was a lot of things that we did not do right. And there was some suffering as a result of not doing it right. But the reality is, is that when you mess up, the question is not so much gloating all over your mess ups. The question is, how do you fix them? Mm -hmm. How do you get to that place that you can say, Lord, okay, I am way out of the idea. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't know. If I, you know, I do know, actually, but... When we read Adventist Home, and when I read this thing about this strange term, the house band, I was like, what is that? That's like some, what, you know, I just felt like, oh, that's so corny, you know, whatever, like, like house band, you know. But when I read it, I was like, oh, wow. I was like, that makes a whole lot of sense, that the husband was to bind the family, bind the members of the household together in Christ. That's when I started saying, wait a minute, this is, this is deep. And when I saw those three things that every husband is supposed to be, the head of the household, the lawmaker, and the priest, when I saw that, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be a head, a lawmaker, and a priest, I could look at myself and say, Lord, I am none of these things. How do I become this? And so, when my wife studied queen of the household. She was thinking, how do you do this? And then when we got hit with child guidance, my wife will tell you, what, what was the reality of when you started going through child guidance? Um, I went into the chapter discipline because my children were so disobedient. And I said, you know, I know it's wrong to just beat them. So I'm going to go to counsel and see what God says on how to deal with these kids. 
So I went into that chapter. I, I, went, I, I just bypassed all the chapters and I went to discipline, thinking God's going to say, you know, take the rod and just. And it was the whole chapter was a rebuke to the parent. Mm -hmm. I bawled. I bawled. I just couldn't believe it. And this was the first time I really started to see how the behavior of our home was produced by our choices, that they were actually innocent. And it was a humbling experience, I could say. You know, when I was growing up, my mother was fairly indulgent with me. Mm. And the reason why was because I was the youngest of eight, and, but I was the only one born of her womb. So my other seven siblings, when they were, you know, when they came into this world, they had a different mother. We all had the same father, but a different mother. She died. Then my father met my mother, they got married, and then I was born. So I was treated kind of like special, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm the only one born of my mother's womb. So as a result of that, when, you know, I came into this world, I found that, you know, I'd be failing in school, like failing. I mean, I'm going to school and being a flat out knucklehead. And yet I'd come home and still see like a brand new scooter. You know what I'm saying? I really wanted a scooter at that time. And so I still get a brand new scooter. A couple of years later, I'm failing in school. I'm not doing good. Next thing you know, I come home and my father used to play games with me. My father was big into surprises. And so my dad promised to get me a car. And I'm in high school and I knew that today was the day I was supposed to get a car. So my father actually called the school and they did beep. Dwayne Lemon, please come to the principal's office. And I'm like, oh man, you know, I'm thinking I'm in trouble. So I go to the principal's office. They're like, hey, you know, your parents are calling for you. So I speak to my dad. He's like, look, son, I'm sorry, but, you know, I, I couldn't get the car for you. I know you were looking forward to it. Couldn't get it. You know, sorry. And I was just like, oh, okay, dad, you know, whatever. And I'm sad. I mean, I'm just down. So I'm walking home from school. And as I see my house from afar, I remember I saw something red. And I was like, wait a minute. And sure enough, as I got close, I was like, wait a minute. And as I got closer, I said, you've got to be kidding me. It was my brand new candy apple red Chrysler Sundance. I'm running and I'm running home and my father's sitting on the porch and he has the keys out with a smile on his face like, surprise. And I was like, dad, I love you more than life. I grab the keys, jump in the car, and I'm out. And I go see my friends and continue to be an irresponsible knucklehead. <laughs> I was literally rewarded at times I could look back in my life and say, man, they should have never did that for me. I was not worthy of it at all. And so the point is, is that growing up now and seeing, you know, my mother sometimes blessed me even when I didn't deserve the blessings, now... I wanted to make sure I'm the opposite. So I reflected more of my dad than my mother in my household and parenthood. My father was a hardcore, strict taskmaster, and he yelled a lot. And so if the children would cry and all these other things, I would raise my voice. You know, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing this? Da, 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 and all these things. And then they would look at me and, and they would cry even more because they're scared to death. And so it was only when we were living at, in, in Locust Grove, when we were there, that I remember going through the volumes, nine, the, the, the nine volumes, and one of them was talking about every time you raise your voice where you were dealing with only one problem, you just created two. 
And when I read that, I was just like, Lord, have mercy. And I pleaded with God, Lord, help me to never raise my voice at my children ever again. By the way, uh, children, from experience, because I was a yeller as well, um, first of all, God gave me the power as well as my husband to not yell, about, yell at our children. I mean, it was like an up and down, like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. But after a while, you actually, it's possible that your children can get you, can, can challenge you and you not raise your voice. It's very possible. That's right. Um, but we found that they were more obedient when we didn't yell than when we yelled at them. They were actually yep. more submissive. And we didn't, we still disciplined them, but it wasn't with an iron fist. That's right. Okay. And so what happened is when we look back at our lives, again, we can see many areas where we messed up. We just did not do it right. Part of it was we didn't know. The other part of it was we knew, but we allowed our circumstances to hit us so hard that we just didn't care, and we just acted on the flesh. And in either case, it created a tough atmosphere. And so when we got to a precious place where we had to realize, Lord, okay, how do we fix this? God began to give with us some very important counsels. This is where I would highly recommend you have pen and paper out, and especially your Bibles, because I want to talk about real reasons. Alexandra, she wants to talk about real ways that you can fix up when you mess up. Because a lot of us did not start out right, but thank the Lord, we can finish right. And so, what, honey, were some of the principles that God began to show us as it relates to fixing up when you mess up? Please well, go ahead and share with us. One is you have to have a basis of establishing wrong from right. And I'm sure if I ask you, what's that basis? You're going to say? The Bible. Yes, the B-I-B-L-E. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to go to verse 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, and it reads, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. So I want you to notice that the first thing God wants us to understand is we must live by the word. If you're going to fix up the things that went wrong in your home, whatever it may be, we have to go to the Word. The Word of God must now be the guide for the home. It's going to now be the instruction manual, and we're going to live by it. We're not just going to read it, we're going to study it, and we're going to live by it. When we begin to do this, God can start providing the various breakthroughs that we need. Because now, before we act, we first go to the Word and look for the evidence. We're going to look for, what does God say on this subject? What is it? Like I showed you earlier today in the message, isn't it amazing how the Bible answers our most perplexing questions? I mean, I don't care what the issue is, the Bible has an answer. All we got to do is study to show ourselves approved unto God. So number one, if you're going to fix things up, we got to get back to the Word. The Word of God must be the basis for showing us right from wrong. Because so often, as husbands and wives, we talk about who's right and who's wrong, but we're not comparing it to Scripture. We're comparing it to society. We're comparing it to trends. We're comparing it to our own wisdom and our own understanding. All of that has to be flushed. we got to get to the place the Word of God is going to be the guide. If my wife does something, 
where in the word of God can you substantiate or back up why you're doing it that way? If I'm going to do it, same thing. Somebody says, that's very difficult. That's going to make me study a lot. Well, it's about time. You understand that? It's about time. Because the whole reason why a lot of us are in the mess that we're in is because we stayed away from the word of God. We didn't let it be our guide. But it's not only that. Go to Psalm 119. Let me show you this one. Psalm 119 and 133. In Psalms 119 and 133, I want you to see what the Bible says here. Beautiful second witness. And I want you to watch this. Every walk or journey we take in life is done one step at a time. Is that right? Step by step. What does the Bible say in Psalm 119, 133? It says, order my steps. How? In your word. Every step we take must be according to the word of God. This was a new dynamic for us. You know, we always believed in the Bible, you know, certain doctrines, state of the dead, tithe and offering, Sabbath, etc. But now we're letting the word guide our home and our interactions and how I respond to her and how she responds to me and how we parent our children, etc. That is when the word of God became far more central to us. And this is when I started discovering this is the strange lifestyle. A lot of God's people don't live like this. We don't live by the word. I mean, honestly, how many of us, before you buy an outfit, you test it with the word? How many of us, before you eat food, you test it with the word? How many of us, before you choose a house and where in the atmosphere and the environment you're going to live, you test it with the word? How many of us are actually choosing our children's education and testing it with the word? Some of us right now say Adventist education. You need to understand, stop, so, stop using those terms so loosely. It is possible to go to a school that calls themselves Adventist and teaches nothing Seventh-day Adventist. You can't just go by a title. You have to look at the fruit. Like, listen, are you really teaching the principles of Seventh-day Adventism or are you just holding a name? Even God said in Isaiah, not, no, Romans 9 and verse 6, not all who say they are Israel are Israel. So not everything that says Seventh-day Adventist is Seventh-day Adventist. So a lot of times we're not testing things according to the word. But this is how Jesus always wanted us to live, and it is the best and safest way to live. So God wanted us to begin to understand, if you're going to fix up, you got to let the word of God start telling you what's right. you got to let the word of God start telling you what's wrong, and you must put your faith in the word of God and the word of God only. You're going to look very weird if you start living like that. You know, you know how weird you're going to look? You're going to look like Jesus. What do you think about that? Because that's exactly how he lived. He lived by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of his father. He would not do anything else but what his father approved. But it's not only this. If we're going to know right from wrong, right? If we're going to know right from wrong, the basis must be the word of God. That's how we're going to begin the fix-up process. The word of God is now the standard. No longer your thoughts, no longer my thoughts, no longer what my mother said, no more my father. And it doesn't matter if your father's a pastor. With all due respect, please. It doesn't matter if your father's a pastor. It doesn't matter if you're 500th generation SDA. That means nothing. I really mean that. That does not mean anything. Because we need to understand, people can practice something wrong for 40 years. People can practice something wrong for 60 years. 
and they've become masters at doing the wrong thing. So we cannot just let the credential of a pastor, my, my dad was a pastor, so I'm going to do it the way my dad did it. It's like, no, you do it the way the Word of God says. You understand that? All right. Now, in addition to that, what other verse do we have? This is a, this is a very important sub-point to this lesson right here. What is the other point? Well, looking at how God deals with his people. That's right. When you think about how God deals with his people, this is when you really can know how to fix a marriage, how you can fix up when you mess up. What is marriage a symbol of? The relationship between God and the church, right? Ephesians 5.32. This is a mystery, but I speak of Christ and the church. That's what Jesus said. So when he said, wives reverence your husbands, husbands love your wives, when he went through all of that, he says, in closing, he says, this is a mystery, but I'm really speaking about Christ and the church. So when you study the Bible, read carefully how God dealt with the church. Look for the principles that God is teaching from those interactions with his people. Because this is how God practically shows us how to love the church as Christ did. When God would have people that would rebel and rebel and rebel, and yet he would still extend mercy. He would still extend grace. He would still deal with them kindly. And he would still be very patient when many of us would have run out of patience. God says that's a lesson that I want you to learn as you now make a new covenant with your wife. No more yelling. No more losing temper. No more withholding. No more withholding. You're going to love nevertheless because that's what I did with a rebellious wife. You know, Jesus is the perfect example of a husband and a wife. Did you know that? Because in one respect, the church is the bride and Christ is the husband. But when Jesus was on earth, he was a member of the church. Therefore, he was part of the bride, and he was serving the father, who was like a husband to him. So Jesus gave a demonstration of what it is to be a good wife. Jesus gave a demonstration of what it is to be a good husband. You can literally look at the example of Christ, and you can see how our interactions with each other can improve. So number one, if we're going to fix up, we must have a basis for establishing right from wrong. What is that basis? It is the Word of God. This is now, going forward, how we are going to start de determining right from wrong in our home. No longer what mom did, what dad did, what my uncles did, and everybody else. We're going to let the Word of God guide our home. Now, you know what that means. That means that if you're lazy, you got to study. How much time is this, Sister, Sister Amara? Okay, very good. If you're lazy, you got to study. And you got to study hard. Okay? Next point. You must acknowledge that you messed up and take full ownership, even when you were done wrong in the process. Amen. Now, what text do we use for that one? Jeremiah 3. So verse, go ahead and read that. Okay. Jeremiah 3, verse 12 and 13, it says... Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, Return, thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you. For I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. 
only acknowledge thine iniquity, and thou, and thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God, and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree, and ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. So notice that God makes it clear, once we let his word be the standard for right and wrong, we study his word and we watch how the marriage relationship between God and the church was working, we will start seeing where we need to improve as husbands. The wives will start seeing where they need to improve as wives. Once we begin seeing where we're off, the Bible says then, acknowledge where you've messed up. That acknowledgement must be twofold. The first acknowledgement is your own mental acknowledgement. You must see, I messed up. And you got to take full ownership for it. We got to stop all this stuff. Well, I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for you. You know, we, we got to kill that. It's like, we got to get to the place to say, you know what? I messed up. I messed up. Acknowledge it in your own mind. Because that's what God says. Only acknowledge your iniquities. Just acknowledge it. But then after that, should there not be a confession to the person that we've offended? Mm -hmm. So obviously, that's phase two. So in phase two, I confess what I've acknowledged, not merely to my own self and God, but I'm going to that person and saying, listen, I realize I was wrong. I realize I messed up. And I'm asking for your forgiveness. This is very, very powerful because too often we confess our sins with some backdoor excuses behind it. We've got to eliminate those excuses. Take full ownership for your actions. If your wife goes in you and spits in your face and cusses you out, you have only one responsibility. Respond as Jesus would. Because Jesus' wife spat in his face. Jesus' wife cursed him out. Jesus' wife slapped him and put him on a cross. That's what the church did to Christ. And Jesus did not respond back with another slap and with another curse. You understand that? So, so now we acknowledge we messed up and then we confess that to the offended party. What are the steps after that, huh? Well, I'm going to continue, but do you see how, it's, how important it is to stay connected to the power source? Like on a daily basis, it's impossible to do this without God. That's right. All right? Second one is confession and seek forgiveness and be willing to forgive. And to forgive is to give for. Now, this is something very interesting. I don't know if you've ever read this before, but um, go to Romans 3 very quickly with me. I want to show you this. I know our time's running out here. Romans chapter 3. And I want you to watch this because we're talking about forgiveness. You see, when you confess, ask for forgiveness. We teach our children to do that. It's not enough for them to just say, I'm sorry. But we tell them, look your sibling in the eye and ask them, do you forgive me? The reason we encourage them to do that is because once I say I forgive you, I relinquish my rights to bring it back up to you. <laughs> As a, as a man of God and as a woman of God, we relinquish our rights to bring it back up once we say we have forgiven you. You understand that? That's why it's so important to not just say, I'm sorry, because you could be like, I'm sorry, and that person just be like, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they kind of move on. The issue is not settled, and of course, it leaves the door wide open to bring it back up at a later time. 
But when I go to my wife and I say, honey, listen, I know I spoke out of turn. I'm sorry about that. Could you please forgive me? When my wife looks me in the eyes and she says, I forgive you. God says, Alexandra, you do understand you relinquish all rights to bring it back up to Dwayne. Don't throw it back in his face. Mm -hmm. Say again? I was going to say, like you never did it. Yep, it's now, it's like as if I never did it. So when you confess that wrongdoing and you ask for forgiveness, what does God do with us? Romans 3. I want you to watch this. Romans 3 in verse 25. It says, well, look at verse 24 and 25. It says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Question, what did God declare to those whose remissions or sins he has forgiven? What did God declare to them? His, the answer is in the verse is the open book text. What did God declare to them for their remission of sins? What did he give them? He declared his righteousness. Now watch this. So what that means is that when God forgives us of our sins, he declares or gives for us his righteousness in return. Are you following that? So in other words, to forgive also includes giving something for that person. This is God's mindset. So when God forgives us, he gives for us his righteousness in return. Takes away our guilt, gives us his righteousness in return. You understand that? Mm -hmm. What's the lesson? The lesson is very simple. Did we deserve that righteousness? Is that righteousness good? Yes. So what God is teaching is that when we forgive somebody, when we forgive our spouse, we should allow God to work in our hearts that we're willing to give something for that spouse that they don't deserve which is your kindness, which is your gentleness, which is your willingness to help out. May not deserve it, but nevertheless, we're giving it because of God's grace. This is, this is, this is true forgiveness. Forgiveness is not only the taking away of the bad, but it's giving for that person something good in return. When God remitted our sins, he gave his righteousness for us. When we forgive somebody, we should be willing to give for them our kindness, our gentleness, and treat them as if they never offended us. That's powerful. There's not a lot of marriages that function like that, but the ones that do, that's a picture of heaven. You understand that? So these are lessons that God teaches us. What else are we learning in this? Ascertain the cause, getting to the root of the matter. In Proverbs 26, verse 2, the Bible says, As the bird by wandering, and as the swallow by flying, so the curse, causeless, shall not come. The curse, Proverbs 26 and verse 2. A curse does not come without a cause. Problems in our marriages don't come without a cause. The mess-ups don't come without a cause. So, when I let the word of God be the standard, when I let God's character be the standard, when I acknowledge my wrongdoing and confess 
my wrongdoings and seek forgiveness. And when you do forgive, I want to find out, well, what was it that caused me to do this in the first place so I can make sure that I don't repeat it? So this is going to require some investigation. Why is it that I was doing the wrong things that I did towards my wife? Why is it that I was doing the wrong things that I did towards my husband? These are the questions that we have to start asking ourselves. Dig deep, and sometimes it might be deep. Sometimes this might be stuff going back to childhood that was never settled. Issues that were psychologically never settled. And as a result of that, if you don't get that cause taken care of, that same problem will come back in just a new look or a new image. You understand that? So what God is trying to show us is that when we're trying to fix up, you got to have a standard. You definitely need to have some acknowledgments and confessions. If you're on the offended side, you need to forgive because the Bible is very clear. If you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. And in that forgiveness, I'm going to not only pardon you, I'm going to give something for you that you don't deserve. Because I love you. But now I want to go ahead and start ascertaining the cause. What was it that caused me to go wrong? Some of us have been molested and abused as a child, and we never dealt with those issues. So as a result of that, we bring it into our marriage, and there's certain times you might treat the spouse a certain way, and that spouse is scratching their head like, man, I don't even know where this is coming from. Like, what's wrong? Why, why are you talking to me like this? Why are you yelling like this? So we have to dig deep, ascertain the cause, find out what is it that went wrong, and if you need counseling, if you need help, or whatever the case may be, find out and address the issue so that way, by God's grace, the cure will be found in the cause. You get that? Very important. And what comes after that, hun? You got to set up the guards and understand your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. After you understand what caused your problem, you must set up your guards and protect yourself from those weaknesses. This is what Paul meant when he said in Galatians 6, 1, consider yourself lest you be tempted. Remember, temptations are always to pull you down. Mm -hmm. Galatians 6 and verse 1, consider yourself lest you be tempted. Family, if you know that you got certain weaknesses, you ascertained your cause, oh, there it is right there. That's my weakness right there. This is how I ended up bringing foolishness in my home. My mother sometimes used to wonder if my father was cheating. One day I found out why. It wasn't because dad was coming home and had strange women texting him because there wasn't even any text messages during those days. What was the reason why my mother was wondering if my father was cheating? It was because she kept watching all my children. <laughs> the young and the restless. She was watching all these soap operas. And in those soap operas, Mary is sleeping with Bob and Sue is sleeping with Jonathan and everybody, it's like soft pornography. And literally, so my mother's watching all these people cheating on each other, so one day she suspects my father's cheating on her. So mom, if you want to overcome giving dad a hard time when he's like, look, I'm faithful, why don't you stop watching those things that's causing these undue suspicions to come in your mind? You get that? In like manner, set up the guard. Once you identify what caused you to act the way you acted in your marriage, that's when you want to go ahead and say, you know what? Let me start setting up guards, guard posts, things that I can keep myself and protect my mind from falling into the same death traps of sin again. You got to identify it and then set up the appropriate guards. God teaches us to do this. Gird up, Peter says, the loins of your mind. Guard 
the avenues of your soul. Watch what you put in front of your eyes. Watch what you put in your ears. Watch what you put even in front of your nose. Definitely watch what you put in front of your mouth, and you better believe you need to watch what you touch. And watch who you associate with. And whew, watch who you associate with. Yeah. There are some people in our lives that are toxic. You gotta get to that precious place to say, look, I need to only surround myself with an atmosphere of encouragement and uplifting. Mm -hmm. So that way, we can have a happy marriage. Amen. Finally, be intentional and be resolved and trust in the Lord. Oh man, do you remember the verse that we had for that one? For set up your guards? Yes, that was a good verse. I wish so much I could remember that. It was in Psalms 118, I wanna say. Oh man, it was, it was a really good verse of being resolved. Well, I, I don't recall it. Forgive me for that, family. It was a very good verse, and it was in Psalms, too. But nevertheless, the key is, is that you gotta be intentional. You gotta be deliberate in saying, I will have a happy marriage. I'm gonna do everything possible to endure. I'm gonna do everything possible to stay focused to the covenant that I'm renewing with my wife or renewing with my husband, and I will not turn neither to the right hand nor to the left. I'm gonna to press toward the mark for the prize of a high calling. And as you do that, you got to be intentional. I, when I came out of heart surgery, I had to be intentional. They told me, they said, Mr. Lemon, if you do not exercise, you are gonna get blood clots and you can get a heart attack or a stroke. That's what they said to me day two. Day one is the day of surgery. The next day after surgery, they were like, all right, got to get out of bed and walk, Mr. Lemon. And I'm drained. I mean, my body just went through like the, almost the worst trauma a body can go through. And after they went through that stuff, I was like, you think I feel like walking right now? I was like, I want to stay in my bed. Give me another pill or something, man, and just get, make this pain go away. They said, Mr. Lemon, if you don't walk, you can get a blood clot. I was like, move over. Let me get out this bed. <laughs> Started walking, tubes coming out of me and everything, and I'm just walking. But what did I do? I was doing that because, man, God gave me some good nurses, didn't he? Mm -hmm. God gave me a wonderful nurse. That brother, he was like, come on, Mr. Lemon, we're just going to walk around. I was like, all right, let's do it. And we walked around the whole ward, and when I'm ready to go back to my room, he says, I want you to walk a little bit more. I was like, come on, man, I don't feel like walking. He's like, no, come on, let's walk a little bit more. And I was like, all right. So we walked a little bit more. And we got to a certain wall, and he was like, Can, are you good? And because I thought it was the end, I was like, oh, yeah, man, I'm good. I feel pretty good. He says, very good. Boom. And he hits a button. The door's open. Long corridor. And he's like, let's go down here. And I'm just like, this brother. You know, whatever. But what did it do? It got me out of that hospital after four days. And my wife will tell you, there were times that I had to put my coat on because it was a little chilly in California where we were. And when they were all getting food together, I was like, look, I got to go walk. And I had to walk. And I had to walk. I dropped down. I was down to about 147 pounds or 48. And I had to walk. And can you imagine? I created my own route in the, in the parking lot. And I was just like, all right, I'm going to go up here first. And then I'm going to go back down. And then I'm going to go around here. And, da, da, da. and I'll do that for 30 minutes straight, fresh out of surgery. I've been doing that consistently, working out consistently over this past year and a half. I'm officially 164 pounds. I got all my weight back, stronger than ever. They checked my heart. My heart's doing great. I feel incredibly fantastic. 
And I look back at it, and God just said, Dwayne, remember Desire of Ages, 822 to 824. Health is the reward of following my laws of health. You follow God's laws of health, you get the reward. And so here it is that intentional. That's how you got to be with your marriage. You got to say, look, okay, we messed up, but now it's time to fix up. We've made our new covenants. We understand and set up the guards. Now it's time to be intentional. Be intentional. Don't be passive. Be aggressive towards your goals. I'm going to show my wife. I'm going to sweep my wife off her feet. I'm going to show her what love is like she never saw it before. I'm going to show my husband what it is, etc. You start doing that, man, when you're intentional, you're going to hit your goals. Because these are godly goals. And God really wants us to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And he wants those wives to reverence their husbands as the church is to reverence Christ. When you set goals that are according to the will of God, all heaven backs you up. Anything else? That's it. And no, there's one more. Oh, really? Yes. Which one? Trust. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Trust. Trust God through this process. Remember that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. In the same way that if we fall, God is prepared to pick us back up. If our spouses fall, don't say, see, I knew it. I knew you weren't genuine. I knew you were fake. How many times have husbands and wives done that? I knew it. I knew you were going to fall. I saw it coming. Oh, so what, you was watching me mess up? And it turns into a nasty argument. God says, no, don't do that. If your spouse falls, have compassion. Matthew 9, what is it, 35, 36, 37? Jesus saw it. He said he, was, he saw the flock of God, and he looked at them, and he was moved with compassion. You got to learn how to be moved with compassion when you see your wife being weak. You got to know how to be moved with compassion when you see your husband being weak. If you can see your spouse is trying and putting forth the effort, don't knock them down. That is something that spouses are proverbial for. We, when the husband finally says, okay, I'm going to do right. By the grace of God, I'm going to put forth effort. And then that husband goes ahead and tries something nice. And because the wife is like, the husband says, honey, you look very beautiful today. And she says, you're just saying that because of what I said yesterday. You know what the husband does? Forget it. <laughs> And, and, and back to work. And the husband's like, it's not working. Mm-hmm. So when the husband goes to the wife, even if he's not used to complimenting, because women love to be complimented by their husbands. So if you go to your wife and you say, honey, you look very nice. And, and you know, and, and he, there you go. Thank you. See, you see that? You see how she's encouraging. Encourage the habit. Don't say, well, it's about time. I mean, man, you never said nothing to me for like four months, but now you're finally saying I'm look good? Come on, man, get out of here. It's like, don't do that. Don't crush it. Don't cr- if your husband puts forth the effort to say, honey, I just want you to know I think you look beautiful. I understand you're like, man, it's the first time he said it in five months, five years, whatever. But don't go there. Just be like, you know what? I appreciate you taking the time. That's part of that being intentional. But I want you to also trust God. Because sometimes... I'd love to say that both husband and wives do it together at the same time, but it usually doesn't work like that. Usually one spouse is taking the lead Mm -hmm. and has to help bring the other spouse up. 
So that means that sometimes the wife is going to be the one with the determination, the, the intentions, and all of that, and the husband is moving slow and not catching up, and wifey might get a little upset about some things and be like, this brother's moving too slow. I wish he would catch up. That's where we have to trust God, keep doing what the Lord tells us to do, persevere, be intentional, and vice versa. This is not an end-all, be-all, you know, of how to fix up, please. I, I hope you understand that, but I believe that these are some key things that are very foundational. If we're going to fix up, you got to have a standard for right and wrong. When you search the Bible, look especially for the examples of the interactions between God and his people. You're watching a marriage. You're studying a marriage. After that, remember that as you see inconsistencies in your life and character, acknowledge your sins. Acknowledge where you're messing up. And as you acknowledge that mentally and accept it for you first, then go to your spouse and let them know what you acknowledge. You know what? I see that I messed up. I see that I, I have not been a loving wife. I've been, you know, you know let, let's be honest. You know, sometimes when the husband gets real busy and does a lot of things and neglects the wife, there's something that typically first goes immediately out the window, and that is intimacy. Intimacy. Because it's hard to be intimate when you are angry, bitter, and resentful. It's hard to do that. Women are very emotional. Guys don't need a whole lot to get turned on, but wives, of course, need a whole lot more, and they deserve it. And so sometimes there's a miscommunication. You know, the brothers expect the wives to be like them. You know, come on, just push a button, let's go. And it doesn't work like that. And so what has to happen is we got to understand each other and understand each other's language, and there are going to be times that when you're in the phase of fix-up that sometimes there's a give and take on both sides. Husbands are going to have to learn that, you know what, my wife just wants to talk. I need to avail myself that I can just talk to her. And therefore, in his mind, he may say, man, I wish we could be doing some other things. But nevertheless, we got to go ahead and meet halfway and say, you know what? What's on your mind? How are you doing? How was your day? And literally sit down, look them in the eyes, not with a phone in your hand and at the same time, or not on a computer, you know, just unadulterated. And as you're talking to the bride or what have you, you begin to speak her language. In like manner, the wives. When the wives come along, there's going to be a time the wife is going to say, you know what? He may not deserve Maybe she doesn't feel like it, but at the same time, there can be a meeting halfway on that angle as well. The bottom line is the goal is that we're helping each other get to the ideal. And by God's grace, we will get to the ideal. Do you have any closing thoughts, mm -hmm. honey? No, just to repeat what you said, I was just thinking about that part with um, meeting halfway. Um, typically, we, you know, in dealing with men and your husband and intimacy is we put that last. We say, oh, the children, oh, the work. Instead, we should prioritize around our spouses, putting them ahead of everything else mm. and eventually um, making that a habit. Yeah, and not exerting all your energy throughout the day that you, you don't even have anything left mm -hmm. for when your husband comes home. And we're not, again, not just limiting it to intimacy. It's just the idea of interaction mm -hmm. in general. The bottom line is, is that if we let the word of God be our guide, the Lord can help us solve a lot of these problems that exist. And through submission, and my wife has a quotation. I don't know if you still have it, the five minutes. Do you oh, still have that? I do. It's in, I um, uh, forgot the book. 
Early writings, page, page 119. Paragraph one. Paragraph one. I want you all to listen to this as we close out of this session. Early writings, page 119, paragraph one. All right, yeah, here it is. Why don't you go ahead and read that? Listen to this. Early writings, page 119, paragraph one. Is that 119 or 19? 119. 119, paragraph one. Yeah, 119. Um, if pride and selfishness were laid aside, five minutes would remove most difficulties. So listen to that. It's that simple. If pride and selfishness were laid aside, five minutes would remove most difficulties. That ties right back into our 11 o'clock hour message. Mm -hmm. Pride. Pride and selfishness moved aside. Five minutes. That's pretty short. Five minutes. It just says right here. But of course, it's dealing with, it says, if pride and selfishness were laid aside, five minutes would remove most difficulties. When we let God take away that pride, take away that selfishness, and we address things in the manner of Christ. That's what I'm saying. Right now, the counsels that we're sharing may or may not sound very powerful to you, but the power is not in the sound of it. The power is in the doing of it. Blessed are the doers of the word. I challenge any of you, do it. If you do these things, the acknowledgments, letting the word of God guide you, confessing, setting up the guards, being intentional, trusting, if we allow these elements to exist in our walk with the Lord, you will see God give us some powerful victories even in our marriages. And a lot of those mess-ups will finally be fixed up. And so my hope and prayer is that we can take something from these little gems, put it into faithful practice, and begin to experience the power of the gospel to renew and to revive many of our marriages. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we are so grateful, Lord, for the blessing of studying with our family, and being able to look to your guidance for these wonderful counsels from your word. Help us to realize the power and the blessing is in the doing of it, not merely the hearing. And may you truly bring about a revival in many of our marriages that we will experience even a little heaven on earth. Is our prayer we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.